is there any benefit to looking at the history of education? Or should we just be focused on what we're doing today and where we're headed in the future? This episode of Back Porch Education looks at the value of a history of education. Good afternoon, Steve. That uh, that intro that I always do uh, is from a T.S. Eliot poem. Did you know that? Yes, of course. He's my great grandfather, even though he spelled his name wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm familiar with Eliot. Um, what is that from? Is that from Proofrock? I think it is from Proofrock. Why did you ask me that? Uh, this will, of course, be edited out. No, uh, I. <laughs> The evenings, mornings, afternoons, uh, I measure my life in coffee spoons. Yeah, that's proof rock. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, so you bring uh, up T.S. Eliot because that, that then smells like a poem is coming. Well, it's not Frost. Don't, <laughs> don't say it with an attitude like, oh, It's an Eliot. No. This is exciting. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we need you to be chipper. All right, uh, then. So in terms of being chipper, um, we'll see if we get chipper by the end. Uh, I think no, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> from me or from the other Elliot? It's a question. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're going to get it out of him. So you're going to really need to carry it for us. <laughs> All right. This, um, this poem is entitled, why should men love the church? And I'll, I'll allow myself only this comment. I think that it is directly applicable, this question at least, is directly applicable to the question that we're trying to answer today. Okay? All right. So uh, here is T.S. Eliot's Why Should Men Love the Church? It is hard for those who have never known persecution and who have never known a Christian to believe these tales of Christian persecution. It is hard for those who live near a bank to doubt the security of their money. It is hard for those who live near a police station to believe in the triumph of violence. Do you think that the faith has conquered the world and that lions no longer need keepers? Do you need to be told that whatever has been can still be? Do you need to be told that even such modest attainments as you boast of in the way of polite society will hardly survive the faith to which they owe their significance? Men, polish your teeth on rising and retiring. Women, polish your fingernails. You polish the tooth of the dog and the talon of the cat. Why should men love the church? Why should they love her laws? She tells them of life and death, and of all that they would forget. She is tender where they would be hard, and hard where they would like to be soft. She tells them of evil and sin, and other unpleasant facts. They constantly try to escape from the darkness outside and within by dreaming of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. (laughs) But the man that is 
will shadow the man that pretends to be. And the Son of Man is crucified always, and there shall be martyrs and saints. And if blood of martyrs is to flow on the steps, we must first build the steps. And if the temple is to be cast down, we must first build the temple. Mm. Well, uh, happy and um, cheery it is not. But boy, that's a solid poem right there. Isn't that a good one? I will not do you the great disservice of asking you to uh, translate or uh, interpret um, my uh, reading of that. But um, yeah, well, he, it, took, I, he I, took me I think somewhere. It's fascinating. Okay. Right, a yeah. poet's supposed to take you somewhere. And he, and he took me to Lewis's notion of, of why we should read outside our own time. Perfect. Right? Uh, yep. Lewis says that we already reflect our own time, mm-hmm. right? People writing within our context mm-hmm. get us and we get them. And, and what they have to say is important because it confirms who we are. Mm-hmm. But but Eliot here is saying the church, and I believe he means the 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 church past, the the tradition of the church. Yeah, capital um, C. Yeah, the, the 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 church as the faith as handed down to us yeah, through the tradition. working of the Spirit. Right, the working mm-hmm. of the Spirit for the last two thousand years has <clears throat> provides us with a service we desperately need that we do not want. Right. It, <laughs> it, 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 it tells us the way things are. She tells them of evil and sin and other unpleasant facts. They constantly try to escape. Yep. Right. And yep. um, there's an unrest in the human soul, uh, in particular with itself, that's always seeking out that new idea. Yeah. That that Shangri-La, that 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 turn of the corner in which we'll finally see it right. Yeah. And uh, in this poem, Lewis, you know, saying, yeah, well, why you're out there looking for that. Don't forget that mankind's well known by the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. It has a, a clear eye as to who you and I are, and it will tell us things. We don't really want to know. Right. Uh, yeah. But, but so, it gives us wisdom. It gives us it gives us truth. And and, mm-hmm. and we need that. Right. I, I'm so happy that you went to uh, Lewis here because uh, the, the same thought came to mind as I was reading it. Uh, that this notion of um, chronological snobbery. Right. Which yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. a Lewis fanatic. Um, I've read some of his stuff but not all of it. And, but I think that he introduces that concept in his introduction to Athanasius's on the incarnation, uh, which is fantastic. Everybody uh, go read it. But did we just talk ourselves into a, uh, have you read? Um, yeah. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps we have. Yeah. But, uh, but getting back to Elliot. Yeah, this is, the, the chronological snobbery that is all too easy for us to fall into um, is counterbalanced by the church who will tell us 
of all that we would forget, right? Um, the the other play, the other thing that to me really stuck out this this time reading it through. Um, Elliot says the man that is the man that is will shadow the man that pretends to be, right? And uh, that sounds to me like a famous uh, sort of Latin uh, phrase, "esse quam videri," which incidentally is the uh, slogan of North Carolina, the state slogan. Um, but, uh, it means to be rather than to seem. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. be the being is more important, uh, than the, the seeming. And, uh, so while we want to seem a certain way, uh, the church knows us <laughs> not as we would want to seem, but as we are. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's horrible. Uh, and also, uh, just exactly what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the quote, and I do believe that it, he initially used the term chronological snobbery in his introduction to Athanasius. Okay. But, it, but he brings it up as well in another context when he's surprised at his own chronological snobbery uh, and okay. surprised by joy. His sort of yeah. biographical account of how he came to know, to, to be a, a professing Christian. Okay. Uh, because because he was atheistic in his early years right. as a professor, right? And uh, I've pulled up the quote because it because it meant a lot to me when I surprised by joy was a big book for me when I read through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It says here were gods, spirits, afterlife, and pre-existence initiates, <laughs> occult knowledge, meditation. He's almost spitting these words out. It's all this yeah. old stuff. Yeah. Uh, why, damn it, it's medieval, I exclaimed. <laughs> For I still had all the chronological snobbery of my period and used the names of earlier periods as terms of abuse. Hmm. Here was everything which the new look had been designed to exclude, everything that might lead one off the main road into those dark places where men were wallowing on the floor and screamed that they were being dragged down into hell. Of course, it was all errant nonsense. There was no danger of my being taken in. But that's it. he recognizes in himself that mistake. So, so I think the point that he's making is that in, in even in his own life, he needed to recognize that he has a tendency anytime he looks back to belittle. Mm-hmm. We've moved beyond that. He, he recognized the progressive spirit that says we're only onward and upward. Uh, which, which of course, was a whole movement in American history, right? The progressive movement was a mm-hmm. pretty strong thing at the end of the 19th century, uh, but it hit the the rough road of World War One. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and they even um, changed the way we talked about World. We, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the, but they referred to World War One as the steam release valve, right? The 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 war to end all wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, mankind had by its terrible, violent uh, love affair with the old worked itself up to such a frenzy that it was going to have to fight this one world war that then would bring in the truly progressive. After that, everything would be fine, except a few short years later, there's World War Two. Uh, and so, so as a political movement, progressivism really took a tough hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But 
my assertion for today's podcast is that um, it's the progressive notion is a part of the warp and woof of our thinking today, and and not without good reason. Right. Um, my, my refrigerator is a whole lot better than my mother's first refrigerator. That's right. Uh, you know, my father was born into a house without running water or electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not. <laughs> yeah. And my children would call that child abuse. You know? Yeah. Right. right. Uh, I'm I'm all for the the comforts and the conveniences and the and and the efficiencies, the good things that come from technological advancement, progress. If if mm-hmm. that's how you want to label the term progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's a the, Lewis Elliot. And many, many others are warning us not to turn our backs on the past, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. The th- yeah. The so uh, as I, you know, as you're talking about uh, this idea, I I remember um, one of my buddies uh, once said, uh, "The world is getting better all the time, and the world is getting worse all the time." Right. That it, that it isn't just a sort of <clears throat> one of them, right? But these things are happening simultaneously and constantly. Um, and so <clears throat> we want to acknowledge uh, the good that is arising, um, the progress, right? Be it technological or otherwise, uh, because the, the church hasn't sat on her hands for 2,000 years, right? Um, right. She has certainly um, progressed. Uh, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> we want to acknowledge the detriment, the fall, uh, technological or otherwise, right? Um, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with all these uh, new machines that we keep convincing ourselves are so good. And so, yeah, I, that's uh, I'm firmly in the camp of both of these things are happening. Good, yes, absolutely. Worse, yes, absolutely. But it's human experience, right? Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. often in our attempt to make it better, the unintended consequences of our actions bring about some aspect that while you can point over here where our focus was, see how much better it is, Right. a slight turn of the head, and we suddenly have realize, oh, but over here we've kind of made it worse. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, I, I think – down through the ages, many would would have almost killed for the amount of discretionary time we have today in in mm-hmm. large part because of labor saving devices yep right i've I've done my laundry by hand and I've done it in a laundry machine, and I recognize the sincere difference in time saved effort saved, and final result right <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, uh and and I have no qual- i'm not a luddite I'm not saying that intrinsically less technology is better. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Right. I'm saying that in something like education, for instance, we have a bad notion of thinking anything done in the past was less enlightened than what mm-hmm. we're doing now. And all, and, and that whatever, you know, I'm 30 years into my teaching. There are many who would say, you know, you're old school. Sure. Um, you, you, you started teaching way back when, uh, hey, I use a 60-inch monitor and a and an iPad mm-hmm. instead of the chalkboard, mm-hmm. and we'll put a definition of that into the to the notes for those of you yeah, yeah. too young to remember what a chalkboard is. But 
you know, and I'm thankful that I don't walk around getting laughs from my students because I got a big chalky handprint on my butt. Right. Uh, like, like I used to have. Right. Right. Uh, but I miss the chalk eraser that had enough heft to it. I mean, I still have a whiteboard eraser, but those things are so wimpy. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the, the chalk eraser had heft to it and you could and and it had an explosive power to it. So that if you sailed that <laughs> puppy discipline. across the room, yeah, yeah a sleeping student <laughs> knocked on the head with the with the felt eraser and a little poof of white chalk. Yeah. Was very gratifying, not only for me sure. but for all the students who were awake. Sure, <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> not to mention, long term, it produced fruit in the sleeping student. It, you know, gave him yeah. a better education. But uh, anyway, I, I I jest. But right, I, I kind of. <laughs> well, d- d- there are things given up. Yeah. Every time something is new comes along. Mm-hmm. And and most of the time we count the costs if if we are aware of what all the costs are, we count them and 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 justify or or uh, uh, come to the conclusion that it's worth this new thing is going to be more better than worse, if that right. makes sense. The 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 mathematics workforce, the mathematics of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm 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 not trying to record a podcast that's a, against that. I'm kind of the both and kind of guy that's saying mm-hmm. as as exciting as some of the new ideas in education are, let's let's not dismiss out of hand prejudicially mm-hmm. say anything from the past is just long since gone and irrelevant. Right. Um, you know, I can apply it in so many different routes. I don't want to get real specific. I just I like the general idea we're developing that the past has benefit. And and I think that it's even beneficial enough to study because in particular living in this sort of snobbish, chronologically snobbish world, I don't think uh, enough is being made. Uh, even, even 30 years ago when I was in college taking a degree in education, my history of educational philosophy was one of the driest, mm-hmm. uh, poorly taught courses, and I'm, I'm not going to call names or anything, sure. but uh, I, I, the, obviously the, the amount of material is difficult to cover in a semester course, uh, but she, I, I sometimes felt like she didn't even try. <laughs> she, just, yeah. she just droned through this stuff because the, the I remember people saying, well, this is the only time I'm ever going to need to know this stuff going into the test. You know, it was, it was that... Get it down Which on the test and forget it. Tremendously sad attitude to hear out of students for that class in particular, right? Well, I, so I, I put some of the burden on the teacher. I don't think she had demonstrated to us a, a, a persuasive thesis. Mm-hmm. It's right. more like you have to take this class to get your degree, but none of us think it's important. Right. Okay, good. So pause right there. Are we going to get a better uh, thesis? Are we going to get a better, uh, more persuasive statement when it comes to uh, understanding or the case for studying uh, the history of education? Right. Yeah, well, I, I, whatever I, so, your uh, like, I think you said whatever your sort of um, particular favorite is for the moment, it has roots running back through uh, the history of, in our case, education. 
Right, right, right. So I, I think that the history of ideas is way more powerful than just the history of names, dates, and places. Right. So right. the the names, dates, and places are simply the the means by which we keep track of the progress of the ideas. So to me, going back and studying how the Greeks, for instance, sort of invented Western education, mm-hmm. how the Romans changed it, improved it, and passed on in, in particular, to Christianity when it adopts right. Christianity as its state church, so to speak, mm-hmm. official religion, and then brings in, you know, the long line of great Christian thinkers, Alfred the Great, Augustine, probably not going to be chronologically correct here, but but Aquinas. Everybody uh, starts with A, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Augustine, yeah. Aquinas, uh, <laughs> Avalard. Yeah, uh, yeah, there you go. Averroes. So, Averroes, yes, yeah. <laughs> There are more. Uh, there are more, but I'm there are more. blanks. Individually, they're interesting, but as a uh, as a group of people who have passed batons to each other, mm-hmm. Homer kind of starting an argument or a discussion about what true education is and what it results in and what kind of a man it will construct, and and then and then just you know I have to. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle are are the dudes, right? And if you Mm -hmm. ignore them, you either have to reinvent the wheel they already made, which seems Mm -hmm. inefficient, (laughs) Uh, sort of like Atlas, perhaps, you know, Um, (laughs) um, or you're, you're, what's the, can I use the term dismembered? Okay. You, you you're attempting to do things without knowing how they where where they came from or how they how they've been used. Um, yeah, I guess it is the reinvention of the wheel is all well, I'm trying well, to say. Well, sort but. of sort of appeal. You can appeal, I think, to the uh, scientific mindset right in which we live, um, and and say, um, look, they had their experience of education that's data that you don't have unless you seek it out yeah so you know uh we uh modern people who are so hopped up on data we don't know what to do without it or what to do with anything else um i think there you could couch uh their experiences uh as uh data and therefore <laughs> sort of make it um imbue it with a, a certain value just by the fact, uh, by virtue of the fact that it's data, right? Right. Well, well, and, and, and even the scientific enterprise is dependent upon um, ground zero assumptions. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is or isn't a God. There uh, is or isn't order to the universe. There is or is not laws governing that universe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot More of these. data is accurate than less data. Right. Right. Well, and and I still have to interpret the data, and thus the right. the interpretive principles that I'm using. Right. So, so when I look at the history of education, it mm-hmm. it it curves with the philosophical, theological curve of human existence. Right. And so I yes. start having more things to argue with an educator about after the Enlightenment than before it. Okay. Because a, a big part of Enlightenment thinking was this 
refocusing away from a sort of theological, ge- uh, a, a theocentric view of the world to more of a a, a man-centered view. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that changes education. Totally. Right. Um, I just recently talking with my sophomores, their last book this year uh, for technological reasons. Uh, so, so no, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell the story. So normally we show up to class and um, at the end of, of my medieval literature class, the sophomores would first read Daniel Defoe's uh, Robinson Crusoe. Sure. And then right after that, uh, Swift's Gulliver's Travels. Okay. Published seven years after Robinson Crusoe. That's right. And Swift was pretty clear about the fact that he was trying to argue against the general optimism of mankind that that Defoe had pictured in Robinson Crusoe mm-hmm. um, and trying to show that, that man's a much more messed up creature. And, and, and then we were talking about the fact that, that a whole bunch of other works, Swiss family Robinson, uh, what's the uh, famous uh, kids, uh, Moonstone, was written and and in there is one of the narrators feels he almost treats Robinson Crusoe as though it were a um, a Bible or a spiritual text and he's constantly quoting from it and whatnot. My my point that I was making to the students was that some great idea will captivate generations, but rarely do they just carry it straight. Each generation puts its curve on it, right? right. For instance, one person who is certainly significant in the history of education who uh, used Robinson Crusoe extensively was Rousseau. Oh, yeah. Jacques Rousseau, right? Emile, right? The only yeah. book he'd let Emile read before the age of 12. Yeah. <laughs> was Rob- he wanted him to be a Robinson Crusoe. Yep. Right. Uh, independent and figuring like out all his own Like sort of his problems. version of what Robinson Crusoe is. Right, right. He, from his he, point of view, he doesn't view, even it, need the whole book. Right, it's, just, it's sort of you see how he learned. That's how I would like a meal to learn. What is right. my problem today? How am I going to solve it? Use my own creativity. You know, forget about some curriculum. Mm-hmm. Life is the curriculum. Right, and that was a and and and, and Rousseau, of course, uh, we have to do. Have you met Jean Jacques Rousseau sometime? That's uh, a good. But, that's a good thought. Uh, 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 Rousseau, in many regards, was a very radical turn in mm-hmm. how educators approached mm-hmm. the nature of the student they were teaching, and 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 that changes everything, right? Definitely. If you th- if if you think this is the purpose of teaching, and it's radically different than the teachers you had, then you're going to teach differently. And, and and he was pretty adamant, you know, to not repeat the terrible mistakes, especially of the Christian past. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what I'm I'm worried about is so going back to your idea of the collection of data. Mm-hmm. Two thousand years of twenty five hundred years of teaching in the Western tradition has made some pretty glorious mistakes along the way, which is what yeah. is what science is interested in. Absolutely. Right. I've, I've thought to myself on many occasions with all the money in STEM these days and all the money in science, mm-hmm. there's got to be some frustrated bean counters who are going, we poured millions into this and it failed. Right. <laughs> you know? Meanwhile, the scientists are dancing around with champagne because they have they have they have proved a null hypothesis. That's the key. Now we know where to go. Now that mm-hmm. that failed, we know it's not that way. 
this has got to be it. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, you know, mistakes excite scientists. Right. Mistakes, the, yeah, the work goes on. The mistakes seem almost criminal to many educators because we're dealing with children and we're dealing with lives here. And I agree that you don't want to purposely mess them up. <laughs> but I also observe that education seems infatuated with the experiment. <laughs> it's yeah. never... It's never at ease. There's always this new idea. And and I could get cynical and, 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 and attach that to money because every time a new idea comes along, then there's new curriculum and new standardized tests and new consulting and new training and professional development. And all it is, It's a big cash cow. But um, I'm not cynical. I don't think that they're just changing in order to keep the gravy train going. I think people are constantly seeking new ideas in education, and that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what's what's scary to me is if you forget all that we've learned from the past. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So I, I think that's right. I think that um, a desire for something new, um, the, the argument that I'm hoping to make is uh, don't don't snuff out that desire for something new. Um, but just realize that there is a there are a great number of things available that are new to you. Uh, that have already been tried, right, in the history of education. And by studying uh, that sort of history, it enables us to, I think, uh, not only amass knowledge, but also wisdom um, as we are testing out what is the best way to educate a child. It's no easy task, but we're not the first ones to do it. Yeah, well, and the confidence that comes with that, not the false confidence, but but true confidence, mm-hmm. assurance that that what I'm doing is based upon sound past practice. Um, and I'm and I'm not, uh, you know, this is back to the Lewis quote. Uh, There's no danger of my being taken in if if I've studied the past, and this quote unquote new idea comes along, which is often just a rehashing of some long since forgotten past idea. Mm-hmm. When I hear it and I go, oh, you know, 500 years ago, that was a new idea too. <laughs> yeah. To someone who's never studied anything beyond his own lifetime, it's all new, right? And to the student of history, whatever kind of history we're talking about, and today we're talking about educational history, but philosophical history, uh, theological history is a big deal to me. That I, I, I've spent a lot of my life um, studying the past and, and trying to love the church, as Eliot said in the poem, mm-hmm. uh, because there is a repository of wisdom. There's a lot of work by the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to men mm-hmm. there, if I'll go but find it. Years later, when I pulled out that old notebook that had all of this massive outline from that um, lady I was referring to earlier, who <laughs> was pretty yeah. boring— I, it was kind of like discovering gold in your closet because now that I've been teaching for a while, it produced in me a, a, a much different set of questions. As a novice who had never really taught much at all in my college experience, I didn't even know what the questions were. Yeah. You know, I was going to go teach and it was going to be cool and my kids were going to love me and the lessons were going to be awesome. And then you get out yeah. there and you hit the reality <laughs> of things. Now I got some questions. And yeah. um, that's one of the beauties of almost any kind of passionate pursuit is there is a history to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like we talked about here recently uh, in another episode about 
my newfound passion for uh, smoking meats, mm-hmm. you know, uh, offset smoker has a history to it. And that's part of the fun of this newfound passion of mine is getting an education on where it came from, how it's been used, what mistakes others have made. So I don't waste preciously expensive meat uh, making those same mistakes. You know, I'm trying to to work off their wisdom, not have to learn it all over again myself. That's right. I I, I think that's what we're trying to say. Good deal. So I don't think I'm going to be able to summarize it any better than that. You know, that um, there is a rich history and studying that rich history enriches your experience of what you're doing in the present. Um, And there's so many different ways to go about it. So if you teach a particular subject, inevitably you can find histories of that subject, of how it's changed over the years, how it's been taught successfully and and unsuccessfully. Uh, And then there's more general works that are more like a history book that just cover education generally, sometimes in specific time periods. And sometimes, like I said, trying to make a survey of, of Western civilization or even all of world history, which is a which is a big task if you think about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, one of those resources that that we'll just mention is uh, something that we're excited about with uh, Back Porch Education, and that is the Side Porch, where slowly, mm-hmm. because we're working men, uh, Jason and I are from time to time going to have something that we don't feel right trying to cram into a 30-minute podcast, and we don't want to make a series of podcasts where if you're not interested in the subject, you have to, if you're if you're binge listening to this podcast, you have to work your way through six episodes of this subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we're kind of limiting ourselves to one episode for a subject, uh, but one of the things that I'm passionate about, if it hasn't revealed itself yet, is the history of education. And so uh, not too long ago, I sat down with my microphone and a whole bunch of notes and just kind of thought through. Uh, I started uh, with the Greeks and just thought and talked my way through. Uh, they're cut up into small sections, uh, but it's a it's a marathon. Yeah. And the side porch. There's a lot there. Yeah, there, it's it's about eight hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but is it available when you go looking for it? Be patient. The side porch is coming soon, and it's going to have some other things as well. Projects that that we want to work on, you know, that that aren't a part of this regular podcast. So, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't see it, inquire, uh, and we'll try and give you some sense of when it might be up. Uh, but it's coming soon, and hopefully, uh, not too long after this episode makes its way public, uh, you'll start seeing not just back porch, but the side porch off to one side that offers some things. And who knows, might even have a, a coffee mug or something like that that you can pick up for yourself to, to remember us by when you're waking up in the morning or whatnot. Yeah, you're going to need, if you try and do all eight hours in one day, <laughs> you're going to need some coffee or something. <laughs> Although it is fascinating. I mean, it is wonderful stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's this is our Latest attempt at trying something new, uh, progress, innovation, right? Um, <laughs> but whether or not you uh, partake in the uh, sort of side porch, um, which in my opinion is is well worth it. Um, I don't. There there are other resources uh, too, uh, right? Um, Maru has his uh, history of education, an absolute slog. It is a long, long book, um, on the history of education, uh, but well worth it. 
Yep, very important to 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 my understanding of things. Yeah, and uh, American and, American no, educational history. Uh, Diane Ravitch. Ravitch, uh, yes, uh, did a wonderful job. Um, left back, which focuses. Uh, it, 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 it is – she starts with colonial America and shows in particular what happens when the government gets involved in education uh, and standardized testing. Cool. Uh, she, has, she has another work that specifically focuses on standardized testing and its effect over the years, so where it came from, how it got uh-huh. developed, and what its effect has been on, on education. So uh, I find her as a contemporary. She's still out there writing stuff. Uh, I want to say she writes for the New York Times. I think yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's big. She's big time. Yeah, and 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 I'm thankful that we have in our time somebody that still sees the the value of of doing the research. All of her books are incredibly sourced, um, and long bibliographies and whatnot. Which is, you know, that's part of the deal, right? That's that's about the only part of Wikipedia that I really get into. Is I go to the end and find out well where did this person source the material from, and I'm going to go read that. Yeah. And I'm probably mostly going to go read its bibliography, and sooner or later they get me back to the primary sources that I really want to get to. So. Right, right. But they're helpful, um, you know, in sort of giving you a, a wide swath so that you can see um, where you want to uh, focus your time and attention. You can't have your meat if you don't eat your vegetables.